1: This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We have an episode on our hands today, folks, as we continue our college contender series breaking down our top 10 men's and women's teams entering the 2022 dual match season. Of course, it's been a really fun exercise to have the opportunity to recap these teams 2021 seasons, look at the new additions, talk about their schedules, their potential rosters, what their upside is throughout the course of the year. Of course, our theme early on in these episodes has been the depth. We see in college tennis. And you hear me say it just about every podcast. But right now, we've got five classes of high school graduates competing in the sport. As such, the depth it takes to be a top 10 team, the depth it is going to take to compete at the top of college tennis, perhaps unmatched in the sport's history. And of course, that's what makes an exercise like this both so difficult to complete, but also so exciting and enjoyable. And of course, on today's podcast, we continue our series breaking down our number 17 17 excuse me in our top 10 women's preseason poll and joining me on the podcast to do just that is of course a frequent guest returning champion Dare I say here now on our Crack Rackets shows? You, of course, know him as a Crack Rackets contributor, writer of the No Ad, No Problem blog, which I hope all of you are reading. Of course, you can also follow him at JTweetsTennis on Twitter. I know him, of course, as my friend Jay John Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Happy belated Thanksgiving.
0: How's your holiday break? It was wonderful. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Hanukkah. Uh, to those who celebrate Um, the Catholicism runs deep in me so I'll be waiting for (laughs) Christmas but um, happy Hanukkah to you and the family it sounds like you got some quality time with them um, for Thanksgiving so it was a it was a really great break I feel like when you detach from from work and spend some time with the family you No, it's enjoyable, particularly during these past few years. It can be rare to come by, so really good um, Thanksgiving for me. Of course,
1: we record this on a podcast medium, so you all don't get to see the Zoom background Jay employs. I will say, very goy of that background, very very goy, which of course, (laughs) Yiddish for Christian. Yeah, I can see the Catholicism in just the faux white couch. Um, You know, that's not going to fly in a Jewish household. But no, (laughs) uh, um, it was interesting. Pillow. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I will tell you this. I didn't know. I went to – one of my original bits that I did with my mom, which is true, I was just like why are there special classifications of pillow? Like can't they all just be sleeping pillows? Why would anyone own a pillow that you can't actually use? Like a pillow is not for fashion. It's for function. And then I learned of the throw pillow and, yeah, again, all the tchotchkelas and stuff that are lying around the house. It was funny. We had an initial booze sponsor. And I had a fifth of whiskey from Hotel Tango that I took from the event that we did, and I was like, I'm keeping this. This is a souvenir, whatever. And I put it up with the chacholas that are in the rest of the house, and it hasn't been moved nor opened because we're not a drinking family. But to your point, I will actually say this, and I know I said it on the mini-break podcast that uh, was posted on Tuesday. It was interesting because I got to see my parents Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday before they went off to Florida, and the past seven years i'd spent thanksgiving with my former high school tennis partner or not, i should say fellow captain and he lived with us my senior year this kid named sven kranz and it had always been the two of us home alone in my parents house which just again any 17 to 24 year old like having your parents home home alone is the treat of all treats and so Dangerous. that's what I, yeah exactly and it's always michigan ohio state weekend yep. and there are always people in town and so it was always a good time for me uh but all that said we had the level one this weekend and so it was actually a working Thanksgiving for me and I will say I have no problem avoiding turkey. Like I like sliced turkey. If we're talking boar's head, like now we're talking my style of turkey yeah. but the Thanksgiving meal, it's fine. Like it is – very the, the desserts are exceptional. I can eat pumpkin pie all year round. But, like, am I really devastated that I missed out on the standard turkey stuff? Maybe it's because we don't do home-cooked. I I missed the Fliegner Thanksgiving spread, which I've gotten to do, again, the past seven years. And, oh, my God, is that delicious. But, like, the standard Thanksgiving,
0: eh. Yeah, it's because you're not having the Cajun-style turkey Chris bragged about on Twitter.
1: Oh, um. <laughs> Zach, uh, First of all, he thinks, and I'm sure it's going to come up in our men's episode this week, but he thinks, like, again, it was really cool to see Mississippi State write an article on them. That was awesome. How did I not get the invite? Like, come on, Chris. What the hell? <laughs> like, don't worry. He's not going to listen to this. But I felt slighted. I'm going to come in with a grudge this week. I'm coming in hot.
0: Coming hot and coming hot, maybe to their Thanksgiving next year. Um, <laughs> I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Again, Trevor <laughs> Foches
1: there. That's a good looking Thanksgiving.
0: Seemed like a a, a solid crew. Um, I agree with you on the turkey. Right? It's probably because turkey is a staple like year round. Yeah. Um, everything else, like stuffing, I, I love. Um, that's novel. Uh, the the desserts are great. Um, I'm not a big sweet potato fan, so the sweet potato with the marshmallows Ooh. is little much for me um that's never
1: a thing i've never had that like that sounds delicious to me that's right up my alley but we never did
0: southern thing i don't think it's a yeah i mean california goes really weird i mean people will be having like sushi or oysters or you know they like to mix it up on thanksgiving
1: yeah no i like it and you got to spend some time with the fam enjoy yourself
0: i did it was good i went to the stanford notre dame game it was not so good um (laughs) but yeah it was a good weekend overall
1: I was thinking about it and I was actually upset with myself that I think I was more excited that we beat Ohio State in football than I was that we beat them in men's tennis in March. And like I'm, I, maybe it's just that we got both and so I'm euphoric. But I did this on the on the uh, podcast as well with Nate Walrath on the mini break. If I was ranking my favorite sporting moments of my life, <sighs> Virginia winning in 2013 is one because <laughs> I just remember it so clearly and just like that was the peak of my fandom – I would say this win might be two, and I think Michigan beating Ohio State in men's tennis is three. What's your top three? What are you thankful for? Here's our Thanksgiving segment. What is Jay thankful for? Top three sporting
0: events. Yeah. Um, this is a tough question. You had time to think about this one. Well, it was um, impromptu, so I'll be clear. I didn't have time to think about it. But you know, okay. this is
1: what I do for a living. I'm married to the game, so I've got yeah, these segments okay. in the queue. Um.
0: Well, it was supposed to be UVA beating Virginia Tech this weekend in football, but that did not come to bear. Um, <laughs> we're still waiting on that one. Um, so I would put 2013 up there, um, the you know the the, the net touch. Um, do they have to be college related? No, they can be anything. Um, okay, Serena Williams, 2007, Australian Open.
1: I had Murray winning Wimbledon in my top five. Oh, okay. U.S. Open. Excuse me. <laughs> How deep did we go
0: here? Um, okay, so uh, Serena, UVA, and oh, um, S- Stanford women, twenty ten, yeah. um, Mallory Burdett clinching four three Florida. Right? Yes. Yeah, that's a
1: great call. Love yeah. that pick.
0: Um, if yeah. If you were yeah, if you were Florida fan, you might choose two thousand eleven, the infamous down 4-0, 4-1 to Lauren them yeah. or up. On Embry 4041 in the final, but uh, 2010 for me, and that was also the first uh, NCAA that I attended in person. So, well,
1: well this is why, one. as always, you are a returning champion because that is the perfect segue into today's show, and with that in mind, Westoff, we're at number seven. So, Jay, the subject of today's podcast is the most polarizing team in our discussions (laughs) entering this 2022 season now again it's a sample size of two but certainly when we look back at 2021 one of the big takeaways was the fact that the round of 16 did not feature the stanford women's tennis team and of course stanford were your defending back-to-back champions entering the 2021 season look it was a chaotic year from start to finish. And it started with the fact that Stanford men's and women's tennis did not get back onto the court until what mid to late February during the course of last season, they weren't really playing matches in full swing until the end of March. And throughout the month of April, they did not have a full schedule as such. They suffered in the rankings and they were dealt uh, to the region of Pepperdine and Pepperdine, obviously your eventual NCAA finalist, that would have been a difficult match, even if it, you know, regardless of the round and, Look, round of 32, Pepperdine knocks out the Cardinal, and it was the first time Stanford hadn't advanced to at least the round of 16 since I believe... 2009, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. I believe in 2009. 1985. They made the run- no, no. So 2009, they make the round of 16 make and the they 16. lose to Baylor. Yes. But that it was the last time, so you beat me to it, that they hadn't even reached the round of 16 yes. was 1985, which yeah. again speaks wow. to the excellence of Stanford women's tennis. And I mentioned it before. 2019 champions, 2018 champions, 2016 champions, they beat Oklahoma State 4-3. Yeah. By the way, they beat Vanderbilt 4-3 in 2018. In you know, 2013, fantastic 4-3 victory over Texas A&M in the final there. They had also beaten Florida 4-3 the day before. They beat Florida 4-3 in the 2010 NCAA championships. You add it all together since the start of 2010, five NCAA championships. This team has set The standard for excellence, not just in women's college tennis, but across college tennis. Your reaction as a lifelong Stanford fan, and again, nowadays he wears the journalist hat, so don't worry. All biases have now been thrown out the window. But as a lifelong follower of the Stanford program, what was your reaction to, on paper, 15-5 and does not sound bad. But again, a round of 32 loss to the eventual NCAA finalists, but a round of 32 loss for the Cardinal.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so many firsts that they suffered last year. I mean, it was it was the worst year in program history, right? Like, I, I wow. would go so far so, as to say that.
1: We didn't even get to the hot take. You can lock it in now. Why stop <laughs> Give me the flames? You're not wrong, though.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think that's a hot take. It's tied for their worst winning percentage of all time, S- 75%, which is still, by most program standards, <laughs> very, very good. But worst, you know, worst winning percentage of all time. Failed to make the failed to win two matches in the NCAA tournament since 1985, which, by the way, back then, you only needed to win four matches to win the tournament. So this is worse. First time since 1981, they've lost three consecutive matches. First time in program history they've lost to Oregon. I mean, it is such a long list. That really actually just speaks to how dominant they have been. So it was the worst year that they've ever had. Um, And I want to double down, though, on what you mentioned in terms of, like, the COVID restrictions they were really, really strict. And so you basically had two years. If everyone had a shortened season in 2020, Stanford also had a sh- shortened season in 2021, right? They weren't allowed on campus in no students were allowed on campus in the fall. Um, they're on the quarter system, the fall or the winter, uh, with some exceptions. Uh, and then they only allowed juniors and seniors back for the spring quarter, which is why they were able to bring back, um, everyone and play spring sports. So, they were really tight, right? The, the restrictions, if you followed the Stanford women's basketball, you know they had to go on the road for basically the entire season. Um, so that's basically two years of having like a 2020 season where everyone else was competing. So there are a lot of extenuating circumstances that led to the results that they had last season. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was bad. Um, well, this team- I just
1: want to add to your point on 2020. I saw this – well, first of all, a couple of things. A – Matt, Chris, if you're listening, that's how you're prepared for a, one of these podcasts. I am normally it's I have to look up those stats for whatever program we're talking about. You came in them. rocking and rolling. Yeah. This I got is why, yeah, best in the business. Um, to your point, I saw them compete at the 2020 National Indoors. We were fortunate enough to be on the call for that event at the XS Tennis Center in Chicago. See it. I just have to say it like that because that's how it's. You know, again, that was the read I gave Great. over and over again. Um, they were struggling at the national indoors no doubt about that and it was clear in 2020 they were not as good as UCLA that top three of Bolton, Hart, Forbes was better than Gordon and Abathnod and just whomever number three was going to end up being I think at the time it was Blake if memory serves me correct but you know again Michigan almost beat them 4-3 in that opening match and probably should have beaten them you know had them on the ropes and you know Michaela Gordon was struggling at the start of the season and that was something that Did sort of transition into 2021 but to your point I didn't mean to cut you off yeah like it's interesting to note I wonder how they would have done in 2020 and that we didn't get that answer would that have prepared us more for the 2021 season which of course to double down on their lack of preparation Carolina got everyone back UCLA got everyone back and added to the tank and just you know this Stanford team their roster did not shift that much at the start of 2021
0: no, and you you talked about Michaela Gordon. You talked about um, Arbuthnot. They actually brought back um, a good amount of players for the 2021 season who had had success. You look at those 2018-2019 national title runs, four, five, and six, Arbuthnot, Janice Shin, Emma Higuchi, all back in 2021. Mm-hmm. But you just look at what a year and a half of being dispersed across the country, across the world, not on campus with the, with the training facilities, who knows what local lockdowns you're a part of, it, it's tough, particularly when you have players who aren't planning on going pro, right? And are going off to kind of other adventures. I mean, Emma Higuchi might be in med school, right? There are other things that these people, um, these players, you know, get attracted to, and that's, that's tough. And I think you saw that in the 2020 results as some of these like historical just locks for them at the bottom of the lineup had to transition um, further up in the lineup or, you know, stayed in their current spot and just didn't have the same records. So it would have been very interesting to see. I'm not saying that either the 2020 roster or the 2021 roster would have won a national championship, but as I write in the article, Stanford women's tennis is the Serena Williams of women's tennis. You can never count them out. Right. I mean, the amount of times they have won a national championship coming in in 2018, I believe they were the 15 seed. So oftentimes the form that they show it indoors is not reflective at all in May. Um, and so you but just didn't don't you they know
1: not play the indoors in 2015. And wasn't that why their seed was so
0: low? So historically they've, they've like avoided mm-hmm. the indoors, right? Recently they've recognized like how much it hurts them, but I think that tw- I think it was 2018 that they were seated 15th. Um, mm-hmm. so I do think, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I think they have started to the play. They've recognized the importance of playing indoors. Um, but yeah, so it's it's uh, it's it's quite a year, and I have a, a fun stat for you. You said setting the um setting the bar in women's tennis and men's tennis, Stanford women have won twenty NCAA titles. The entire rest of the field has won nineteen. <laughs> of the twenty one other D one programs that have more than hundred schools playing, so like your sure. think your basketballs, your soccer. First question is, is there another program, school gender sport, who has more NCAA titles than the field?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. It's going to be a not, it's not going to be football or basketball. Let's be clear. Like, is there a soccer run? I don't think so. That's a little bit too major as well. Baseball? No. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to go like gymnastics.
0: Okay, it is yes, there's one other team. Okay. You want the answer? Please. UNC women's soccer.
1: Oh, I was ah, oh, you're that's obvious. That's the Mia Hamm
0: years. How do I not? Yeah. That's like that should have been so clear. Yeah, okay. So they have 21, the field has 18. So as I was doing the research and by the way, manually had to like look that one up it is not available other than crackdrackets.com now okay. um
1: well you should tweet it out when the article comes out by the way i'm not stealing that from you because okay. that's exceptional and that could catch on if you gotta tag our girl nicole arback go blue <laughs> yeah
0: that's true um she's a great follow um because i was looking up i was like this this stat of having more ncaa titles in the field is ridiculous mm-hmm. um and i thought maybe it would be They'd be the only one, but UNC Women's Soccer are right there with them. That is –
1: Chris, Matt, move over. Jay's in town. You want to do the men's with me? I'll tell you. You want to do number seven, I think? Uh, Well, we won't spoil it right now. But that to the end. Yeah. Um, No, it's – here's the difference. UCLA beat them twice in 2020. Twice, yep. and it was four zero and four one, and so
0: twenty twenty one.
1: No, twenty twenty. I mean, they beat them twice in twenty twenty one as well. Yeah, but they also beat them twice in twenty twenty. Oh, and sure. so, you know, they were ten and two that year, yep. and those were the two losses, and it was an eight one combined scoreline. So, I do think, and again, I can't emphasize this enough. People will say Graham, Davitella, Jones, when we look back at the history books, they didn't win a team title. They were so much better than everyone else in 2020. I was at that national indoors. They were going to kill everyone all year long. I'm just – again, I will always remember the season for that, and I just don't think Stanford would have beaten them. I know, Stanford, you can't count that team out, but that's how good – You know, again – unc was in 2020 but to get back to the cardinal again to bring back all of the faces that they did familiar faces players who had had success across the board you know again it started in doubles where you know they were fine like i think in particular at the number two spot they go 14 and two overall on the year they're 13 and three at the number three spot again on paper that's fine but They played twenty total matches. They were fifteen and five. You know, ten and six at number one, just didn't really find a pairing that clicked. And you know, across the board, you know, Emma Higuchi, another dominant season at the bottom of the lineup. She's sixteen and three overall, twelve and three at number six singles. You knew what you were gonna get from her. She delivered. Sarah Choi, another, you know, familiar face for the Stanford Cardinal program. She goes thirteen and four overall. That's a fantastic season. But
0: shout out to my high school.
1: Exactly. I love it. But everywhere else, you know, just inconsistencies. You know, yep. Emily Arbuthnot. Eight and eight overall yeah. in her final campaign and Michaela Gordon, ten and seven. And you know, Anna Geller was a freshman and certainly I think she could make a big jump this season and we'll get to that as we project here in twenty twenty two. But eight and four is good, not great. Again, yeah. for a freshman, didn't get the chance to really get her footing under her, no fall at all. You're yeah. coming in, in weighed circumstances with that in mind, eight and four is pretty damn good, but not spectacular you know runaway excellence and you know you know a bunch of other players angelica blake uh angelica blake excuse me seven and three and just uh, across the board they didn't have outside of perhaps a gucci woman they didn't really have that standout you know match calculus where you're like don't worry this is the way we're going to do it at stanford and i think you know that was reflected in their results
0: yeah, and, and I would say those records that you just read through are in some ways padded, yeah. because they didn't play that tough of a schedule, right? Mm-hmm. They played a lot of, um, you know, you didn't see them go to indoors, get those sort of matches in. Um, you know, they they played a lot of the the St. Mary's, the Santa Clara, just to get match reps early on, um, and then when they played a team, you know, like a UCLA, like a Pepperdine, they lost, and then they also lost to to Oregon. So it's kind of difficult to even read through some of those records. If anything, they're probably worse than it. And if they could continue to play, you know, an additional five matches, they don't get better. Um, So yeah, not a great season. If anything, they were better in doubles this year than they have been in the past. And then you were like, where on earth can we get three? (laughs) Um, Maybe at six. Um, But it was, it was a very unusual test for Stanford. And I think it's intriguing, right? Because we talk about Stanford's dominance, a huge factor of that is head coach Lili Farood. And in many ways you think she's seen it all. She's won 10 national championships with Stanford. This feels like her toughest test, right? After two shortened seasons, you know, a massive, what I would argue rebuilding year, bringing in the freshman class that they're bringing in you know, how do you write the ship, and can you? How quickly can you write that ship um, for a program that has historically just been so dominant? You talk
1: about three straight losses, four three to Pepperdine at home, not a bad loss. Four three at Oregon, and it's always tricky to go play up at Oregon, particularly again given the team just, you know, had not had that many reps on the season, dealt with a couple of injuries throughout the course of the year yeah. as well. And hopefully, I'll get the chance to talk uh, with Coach Farud about those injuries, but. You know, you look for them, you know, Janice Chen's win over Michaela Gordon in retrospect shouldn't have been that surprising. But, you know, a three-set loss for Sarah Choi and, you know, a straight-set loss at five singles. They get swept in doubles, you know, down 5-3 at the number one spot when time ends. They lose six love, do Choi and Higuchi at number three. That's just not the sort of loss Stanford suffers, you know, 90 – yeah, ever. That's a good way of saying it, ever. And then, you know, tough schedule for that. You know, the next week they're at UCLA, and that was always going to be a tough match. That's by no stretch of the imagination a bad loss and, you know, a good win for them to follow it up at USC. But, you know, again, in the matches where, as you mentioned, it wasn't the toughest schedule against their top 25 opponents, they beat Arizona State 4-1. They lose to Pepperdine 4 3. They lose to UCLA 7 0. They beat Cal 4 3, but then lose to Cal 4 1 in the Pac 12 championships on a neutral site. You know, they lose to Pepperdine 4 2. Like, this team was not definitively, by any stretch of the imagination, a top 10, top five team that they normally are. So, to get back to your hot take and to kind of put a bow on 2021. There's going to be fire because you're right. This is the sort of season for the first time ever in her career. Coach Fruitt can be like, well, we don't want to do that again. Let's <laughs> right. let's kick some Yeah,
0: ass. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's interesting to me because they do, we'll talk about the roster, but they turn over in some ways a, a, a new page, right? We talked about those three, you know, departing Well, let's seniors. get into the roster,
1: Jay. Hit me with it. Who they bring back, what's new?
0: So, I mean, the the main connective tissue between those 2018 and 2019 teams um, is Michaela Gordon, right? So she was a freshman in, those, in that 2018 season. Um, she's played 65 matches and singles, all but three at the number one position for Stanford. So she's returning. She's taking advantage of her fifth year. Um, you know, for what she may or may not bring on the court, she will certainly bring the off-court experience to say, hey, last season, that is not what we do here at Stanford. Mm-hmm two other seniors who were at least around and have... You well, uh, well, I was going to
1: jump in there because I want to talk about Michaela Gordon, who sure. was one of the top recruits in the country. And yep. as you mentioned, all but three of her matches have been at number one singles. Yep. Here's the biggest thing. And I know you know we've had her on the show. I know she was exploring internships outside of tennis. And when you're ever a Stanford student, you're pursuing things outside of tennis. Yeah. Of course, that's part of the requirement of being there. There's a legitimate chance this year... She's playing three or four singles, and that sort of luxury for the Cardinal right there, when you look at the returning roster, I know we're going to get into everything else and we'll talk about the possible projections, but just right there, that's why I'm so high on this team. You know, again, Jay, is that last year was the worst of worst years for Michaela Gordon, yet this team still played, you know— close matches against Pepperdine a couple of times and was still in a position to come through. You know, you look at that NCAA loss 4-2 at Pepperdine, you know, let's not forget how close they came to winning that match. I believe it came down to third sets on courts one and two, if memory serves me correctly. And yeah, Gordon, you know, was up a set. On Ashley Leahy. And Blake had taken the second set against Fela. And it felt like they had, were, you know, starting to make their push after they had taken the doubles point as well. So they were right there. But, you, you know, we talk about it being the worst season. They still almost beat the NCAA finalists in the NCAA tournament. Like, I do think this team, despite it being as bad as it was, they all got that sort of experience where they played the tough opponents well. And so that you bring in, you know, that. That last season was the worst-case scenario. I just think there's inevitable, impro- inevitable improvements on this roster, and it starts with a bounce-back year from a Michaela Gordon who may have, for the first time in her career, not the burden of playing number 1 singles.
0: Yeah, I I do think they take some positives from that Pepperdine match, right? They can say, hey, that was the last match of the season. We actually, you know, we were right there with Pepperdine um, on on their home turf. Um, And I I make this case in the article where I say, you know, we can talk about all these outstanding freshmen, but essentially it's really going to be about how good their returners are that make or break this team, right? Like so far, it seems like Connie Ma, Yepa are going to be, you know, as solid as the Stanford freshmen of years past have been, right? Um, But how good is Michaela Gordon? She hasn't played since May. She hasn't played since that Pepperdine match. Um, How good, you know, are the other returners who, looking at the fall results, we really haven't seen much of, you know, Anna Geller, Sarah Choi. Um, We haven't seen much of those returners, but their ability to step back up, I think is going to fill the gaps of these high upside freshmen that they're bringing in.
1: Yeah, and you sort of mentioned it. It's not, you know, again, for Geller, 8-4 and last season, and you look at the actual, you know, matches she played. She, uh, you know, plays primarily three, four singles, and, you know, by the end, she, you know, takes a loss to Shorty Fukuda, uh, you know, a couple of losses to Jada Bowie of Cal as well, but I don't think those are bad losses by any stretch of the imagination. And, again, to have her at potentially number four singles as a sophomore, like you feel that much better about that, and then you know, in terms of the returners, I just think five and six singles for Stanford—they do have that sort of depth yep. that you need to compete at the top of women's college tennis. Whether it be Choi, whether it be Houghton, whether it be you know uh, Madurawe—I'm uh, not going to say it correctly—Madurawe, yeah, Maduraway, thank you, or or even you know Mosmer, or just any of the options there—they're all good picks to play in those five and six singles position. And I feel like even when you look at, you know, Texas or UNC or even Pepperdine, maybe not Pepperdine, but we'll get there. Like this team at five and six, I think is as good, if not better than anywhere else. And what have I learned in my time, you know, covering college tennis five and six is where you win national championships and this team has the answers there to win national championships because not only is it talent but it's depth as well it's experienced talent as well
0: yeah i mean i think the experience is a question for me i think the roster into 2021 breaks into to two halves essentially sure. you have four players who are going to be in the top four in some order right it's going to be connie ma Yepa Finova, michaela gordon and uh angelica blake right those are your four in some order. And I think at the bottom three, you have um, Anna Gela, Sarah Choi, and Valencia Zoo battling it out. And if they need to bring in some of the other players that you mentioned, Madarawe plays singles, fine. Houghton plays fine, you know, singles, fine. So they have that depth um, for sure. It's just going to be interesting to see. You talk about the experienced turners like Blake and Geller. They haven't even played a full season of college tennis. Um, and so I'm just going to be really interested. And they didn't really play a fall. Mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how they transition i'm right about this is i expect we see a lot of lineup volatility i think the combination of the fact that we have these three freshmen who are all coming in with so much experience um and we have these returners who may or may not have been playing that much this summer you know they certainly will have results um and so how long does it take them to really get into form um that's going to be the big question um but ultimately if they can figure that out, then they certainly have the talent on paper um to 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 win, particularly in you just look at the Pac twelve conference, really strong top of the lineups at at, at a UCLA uh, USC, right? But the question is the bottom of the lineups and I think Stanford does have the answers there.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's fascinating because Again, we've talked about the returners. You have to talk about the number one recruiting class in the nation. Of course, yep. that was brought into campus this season, and that number one recruiting class: Kani Ma, Valencia Shu, and Alexandra Yepafanova, who have all been top juniors throughout the course. Of their junior careers, all blue chip recruits as well. All players who can, you feel like with the level, though I haven't seen much of Valencia shoot yet. Certainly, you saw Connie Ma gets a win over uh, gets a win over Fiona Crawley at the yeah. ITA Fall Nationals. Uh, Yepafanova gets wins over um, Natasha Suba. She gets a win over Lisa, Lisa Zare of Pepperdine yeah. as well. And just you know, again, she's a former junior Slam finalist, I believe, if memory serves me. Yeah, correct. US and Open just, 2019. Yeah, and so, as a qualifier and just you see the ball she hits the way she gets her momentum moving forward on the court the aggression she plays with it screams top of the lineup just power tennis a pro ball in college tennis Connie Ma there's nothing on the court she can't do just again her using her quickness to take that ball early on the rise contact point so beautiful just everything about the game comes easily to her and again beats freaking Fiona Crawley in three sets at the fall nationals and you know was exceptional in her matches, I thought, in, in her two victories uh, before getting knocked out. And just and
0: you add roll. in that
1: recruiting class mm-hmm. with the talent they bring back, a, t- a team that, you know, despite underperforming, and yeah, you lose Gucci Woman and you lose Arbeth Nott, but uh, you, you know, I think you lose Sarah Choi as well. But just even dis- – or no, you don't lose Sarah Jana Choi. Shin. Oh, Jana Shin, excuse me. Yeah, thank you. Like – you bring back most of the nucleus of that roster I hadn't I'd forgotten about Blake who you're right probably slots in the top four as well and yet you've got three players who are all ready to crack your top four or you know maybe not Valencia shoe but you've got two top three sorts of singles players plus yeah. another component to add to the depth this is why I had this team higher than seventh Jay this is why I'm so high on this team because you made the case for me even in an underperformance they weren't horrible last season they were just Bad by Stanford standards, still win 75% of their matches, and now they bring in the number one recruiting class that we've already seen have success. They have the depth. We don't know what the doubles lineups are going to look like, and we can get into that lineup discussion momentarily, but just on paper – this team has everything. They've got the veteran returners. They've got the young players who have already flashed promise but are going to get better with a season of experience, and they've got some young freshmen who got a taste of college tennis, but it also feels like we'll get significantly better by the time we hit May, and they've got the depth to withstand some injury issues along the way. So it's like you could get a nothing season from Michaela Gordon and still be pretty good if she's elite at the number three singles position, as she has the capability to be now this team can win a national championship. And I just think on the short list of teams, here's my take. Like when you're talking potential national champions, this team has to be on your list.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into that, right, when we <laughs> when we talk about the predictions. And and look, when we were uh, debating where Stanford should fall, it was pre-fall results, right? We really hadn't seen anything. We hadn't seen Connie Ma play. We hadn't seen Yepa Fanova play. Yepa Finova won the international spring championships in March and not a lot after that. I mean, it was only in August that she was the number four seed at, you know, hard courts in San Diego and bows out in the round of 32 and just a few in September, right. She's losing to, to Houghton in a money tournament in San Francisco. And I was, I was a little concerned about where her level would be. And so it's tough to base, you know, I think we'll probably see that with Yepa Fanova throughout the season. I expect we'll see high highs, maybe some low lows, uh, just given the style that she plays. Um, But I I think we need need to to temper expectations. I mean, we've seen such a small sample size. This is not a team who really plays a ton in the fall. Mm. Um, I do not disagree with you. The upside is absolutely there. If the pieces click, Like the recipe is all there. It just feels like a big bet right now coming off the heels of the season that they had and making a big bet on these freshmen. However, I think bringing in these three new freshmen is exactly what the doctor ordered to put 2021 out of sight, out of mind.
1: Yeah. But you talked about the connective thread. Gordon's been through the back-to-back national championship runs. And I do think again, with the experience they have, they're going to be able to get those freshmen up to speed. And, you know, let's talk about the possible lineups now, because it is fascinating to wonder where they're going to start. And, I yeah. think if you look at the fall results, the level returning, I mean, Mon and are playing very, very well. And I yeah. do think they have staked a claim to be in the top three. Now, Michaela Gordon probably wears that number one hat at the beginning of the year. But I think that's your top three. What you do after that is fascinating because I do think there's going to be a jump from Anna Geller this season. And I do – because I just think – again, the deck was stacked against her last year. And it's just like I don't think we saw her best tennis. I don't think anyone would have been capable of playing their best tennis in those circumstances. But you bring back Blake as well. Like I do think those are – you know, there's a clear definitive. It's Those are the top three. Then I think Geller and Blake end up in that bottom three as well. What you do at six – I don't know, but you penciled that in as a victory in your match calculus every single match you play. Like, I just, I love the depth of this team in singles. I have no idea what their doubles is going to look like. I I imagine Yepa Fanova factors in there somewhere, Connie Ma factors in there somewhere, but outside of that, no idea. But this is a team that can drop the, I feel very Pepperdine-y last year, where it's just like, it doesn't matter what the score is after doubles, roll the ball out. If this team clicks, they can find four wins
0: in singles against anyone. I think that's, I mean, I, I don't disagree, right? There yeah. is a lot of upside here. Um, I do think Yepifanova. I just, she feels more like of a of a two than she does a three, right? I feel more comfortable mm-hmm. having her at two, just given her game style, like she's either going to beat someone or she's going to lose to someone. Whereas Michaela Gordon at three, how, how does any other three beat her, assuming she's playing well? I mean, you can't yeah. hit through her, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just... Probably don't have the tools to do it. And that's what would happen when she faces like a. And a, she's an going to see your one.
1: tools and be like, huh, you know, I used to play Abby Forbes routinely at this spot. You know, uh, right. back in the I've... day, it was me versus uh, not DiLorenzo. I'm trying to think 2018 range. It was me versus Jokic. It was me versus Graham. Like it was yep. me versus Leahy. Who, who yeah. do you think you are at number three? Saying it's funny, she'd probably match up with Leahy this season at number three if <laughs> Leahy was still at Pepperdine. But it's like, yeah, who do you guys think you are?
0: Right. And so if we get that Gordon, then great. And if we get that Gordon, honestly, maybe she does play higher. Um, But that top three is is elite. Um, I agree with you about Blake and Geller at four and five in some order. And then just based on the junior results, I mean, Sarah Choi has honestly really impressed me. Um, I mean, she's two inches shorter than Emma Higuchi, and anyone who's seen Emma Higuchi play, like, that's impressive. Um, so she's has really good results. Um, I think based on what I've seen, Valencia Shu plays fairly similarly, consistent baseline error. Either one of them are like shoe wins for six. Um no pun intended. <laughs> I, truly not intended. Nice <laughs> one. Um, doubles. So they seem to be pretty happy with, you know, they had Connie Ma and Blake play together um, in the regionals and at, and they, they won ITA regionals and then they went on to fall championships in San Diego. They lost to eventual champions, uh, Crawley and Scotty. They also played them in their trip to Hawaii. So they seem pretty content with that duo. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gordon and Madaraway go from one last season down to two. That feels like a natural fit. And then I think you find a partner for Yephanova. she's definitely not gonna not play doubles. So you just figure out like mm-hmm. who she matches up best with, whether that is Geller, um, whether it's Sarah Choi. But I think just having Yep with with her serve, her ground strokes, you know, she'll be she'll be tough to beat at, at three in doubles.
1: hmm I wanted to look, of course, how they compare. So I went to UTR to see Power Sixes, and it's tough right now because I'm pretty sure Connie Ma's UTR is way lower than it should be. Uh, well, but,
0: they don't have Connie Ma, Blake, or Valencia Shu listed for Stanford. right
1: I see Blake. I think now on there they don't have Michaela okay. Gordon. Michaela uh, Gordon. That's is who one. it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't it's have Gordon,
0: Gordon for her fifth and year. And yeah. so
1: right now they're 61.1. Yeah, that's just not valid. That's right. just—I'm sorry. That's incorrect. Their yeah. UTR—that's incredibly underrated, and their UTR yep. is going to be off until this team plays a bunch of matches. But you look at the matches this team plays, and it starts at the kickoff weekend. Yeah. Arkansas is going to give them troubles I'm telling you I know I've I've talked about my uh, you know the head coach can't play right yeah well I'm well aware of that (laughs) but I just think the way they're going to compete like I think that match is going to be a great wake-up call for those young freshmen that's the difference is it's just young freshmen in a kickoff intense environment then you'd probably have to beat Virginia at Virginia to get to the national Indoors. indoors that is a team we haven't talked about yet spoiler alert they're going to be in our top 10 list uh, they're a team that you know can match you at one and two. They see your you know, let's say Gordon and Ma, and they raise you NCA champion Emma Navarro and Natasha Subash. and they feel right. good at the top two, as good at the top two as anyone else. But if you see Stanford's depth carry them through that match early in the season, well, now it's okay. Stanford's back, folks, and they're playing the national indoors this year, and we're going to get to see them potentially – again, they have to get through Virginia first, but we can perhaps see them compete against the nation's best and – You know, again, we're talking about all the lineup permutations. Can they find a doubles point? If this team gets up 1-0 on you, how do you find four singles victories against them? If you are any team, it's a fascinating question. And then you look at the rest of the schedule. This is a team that's playing Texas at home, that's going to Pepperdine. This year they get USC and UCLA at home, but they have to go at Cal in the Pac-12. It's not an easy schedule, Jay. I do feel like we are going to see this team, and of course the full schedule hasn't been announced yet, but— I think we're going to get see this team properly tested. Where are you on the schedule? Where do you see this team? You know, again, their layout in the conference,
0: nationally as well, as we start to look towards predictions. I mean, the full schedule isn't out yet, but from like literally the, the five or six matches. That Texas they do and have, Pepperdine, I think lock me, in, throw Boom. UNC on exactly. there, and we're good to go. Right, I mean, it's a smart schedule, right? I mean, they couldn't control where they're going for the kickoff weekend. They're the like, we they're will going. never
1: go to Pepperdine
0: NCAA opening region again. You're right, exactly. <laughs> Pepperdine needs to come back to us. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, it's it's, it's I think that's going to be a good experience. I think being indoors is going to be tricky for this team. This is a team of essentially Californians and Floridians, um. You know, versus a, a team in Virginia that's going to be at home indoors. So, you know. I think that's definitely going to be a factor where it isn't as much of a factor in some of these other matchups. Um, You know, then they get Texas, they get Pepperdine. um, And the big thing for them as well is that the PAC 12 is going to be legit this year, right? You talk about Cal, you talk about UCLA, you talk about USC, they're going to get a lot of revs against those teams both in the regular season and in the tournament. So this is a team who by may will uh, a young team who will be very battle tested. And that's exactly what you want. Um, and so even if they take some lumps right throughout the season, you know, you, you feel good about what those experiences could teach them. and I'm, I know I'm making the case for you. Um, but uh, yeah, this um, it's it's a great schedule, and I think they will I, they'll be ready to go in May, which is always dangerous for Stanford.
1: So with that in mind, you look at the conference. UCLA, always dangerous. We're going to talk about them later. USC, winners of the fall. Their top three can compete with anyone. And Cal this year, probably our biggest regret, not including in the top ten, particularly after the addition of Katja Weir's home. Where are you with this team? Give me the predictions. I think we've talked through the lineup. We've talked about the talent. Certainly you can hear the excitement in my voice. Now, of course, let me give the swerve here, I suppose, the hot take. It is a lot of freshmen. And there's a world where Connie Ma just, again, maybe she's pre-med. Maybe she prefers the struggle of the bio, of the chem labs. And it's just, again, the Stanford team does have it more difficult academically than 99% of campuses. And just, you know, again, NCAA time is also finals time. At that point of the season, so many of these players across the country so worn down. uh, And yet the Stanford team has always been able to find that extra gear come May and just – Again, there is the world, though, where, you know, Yepa Fanova, we haven't seen that much of her. Maybe she suffers an injury. Maybe she's overwhelmed. Just she loses confidence. It does feel like she's a very confident de- confidence-dependent player. And, you know, I mean, we don't see much of Connie Ma. Maybe five months straight is just too much tennis for Connie Ma. Maybe that's not what she's looking for. I'm really trying to t- – I don't see a world <laughs> where Connie Ma fails. Um Maybe Gordon just again. The tennis isn't the most pressing thing for her right now, and we don't see a bounce back season. We see closer to the twenty twenty one form than we do twenty nineteen form. And just you know, Blake, you know, whatever one of the you know Geller, maybe one of them doesn't click. Yep. But that's a lot of what ifs. Like you need all of those things to happen, in my opinion, for this team to not at least make the NCAA quarterfinals and you know, again, that they get SC, UCLA, Pepperdine, Texas, Cal, all of these matches before May. To your point, they will be battle-tested. Give me the predictions. Conference, national indoors, NCAAs, et cetera. How do you see Stanford performing?
0: So, I mean, we talked about the Virginia-Stanford matchup. That's the J-Bowl at the (laughs) kickoff weekend. Um, I'm going to go UVA. I think indoors plays a factor there. I think it's, it's early in the season for, for these players, particularly, I don't know what, where Gordon, her level will be at. Um, So I I do think Virginia takes that match. Um, I, in terms of the regular season, what's interesting is I think Cal probably has the best matchups with Stanford. I think they're deeper than both the LA. So I think the two NorCal schools are deeper than the two LA schools um, top to bottom. So I think they'll probably be Stanford's tougher, not to say the other ones won't be a tough test because they could, they could sweep top three as we've seen with USC or UCLA. Um, But ultimately, you know, I think that regular season is going to be a, they're going to beat up on each other and they'll get the SEC effect of like all getting those ranked wins. Mm -hmm. So we'll see them all in like the top five. Um, I think this Stanford team wins the PAC 12 tournament. Um, So that's, that's my prediction. And the fall, your hype, like, I thought hard about this. I think that there are, I won't say the number, there's a handful of teams that I think are just one level above this Stanford squad, but I do think we have an opening for like who's the fourth contender. And that's probably where Stanford slots in. And so I have them making the semifinals, but I think a lot of these teams really enjoyed seeing Stanford on the outside looking in last year. And I think they want it for at least One more year, but 2023 national champion could be the Stanford Cardinal.
1: It's a good call. It's a good pick. And again, I think if they can split the Texas Pepperdine regular season matchups, just win one of those, they make the NCAA final. I think if they don't win either of those, semifinals is a good pick, and I will say that's what I'm weighing here as I look at my decisions because I do think, again, losing to a UCLA, uh, a a Pepperdine, a Texas, a a USC, a Cal during the course of the year would be good for this Stanford team. Now, I do think they need to beat Virginia, and I do think they will beat Virginia uh, during the kickoff weekend and get to the national indoors where they could take some lumps. They could easily go one and two. And you know, they could just as easily go 4-0, and by the way. But it will be nice for that team to just continue to get repetitions. And then I agree with you. By May, they're going to be monsters. <laughs> I think they win the Pac-12 tournament. They bounce back and just win it comfortably. And I do think they're going to be a top-eight seed. And so regardless of the NCAA tournament format, they're going to be well-protected to make the NCAA quarterfinals. And then from there, it's just, again, the depth that they have. I only think there are a few schools that can match it. Plus, by then, their freshman talent becomes much more experienced talent. Their talent from last year becomes much more experienced talent. And just, again, on paper, this team is really, really good. I have no idea what their doubles teams are going to look like. And I do think that could hamper them come the NCAA tournament in particular because it's easy to find three, it's tougher to find four. You have a comment there. I see you Well,
0: for some reason, I'm higher on them in doubles. I mean, Connie Ma... is a really good tennis player Mm. she will slot in anywhere in doubles and her and Blake made an interesting duo um you know Yepa Fanova just with the serve the ground strokes like get her some doubles reps like she could be really strong her height alone is going to be a factor on the court you know I'm not that worried and then you just slot in Gordon and and Madarawe who were Mm -hmm. what 10 and eight ish, you know, yeah, at one six
1: or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, okay. So I'm down to two. You probably yeah. feel pretty good about that. So doubles. I'm I'm not that con, not as concerned about, but look, doubles has not always been Stanford's strengths. They have been like, look, we'll, we'll play you straight up six and we'll get four. No problem. But yeah, if they get doubles, um, good luck getting three.
1: Yeah. That's again, I, 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 so I'm going to go conference champs. I'll say – well, then the other thing is then I know who my other two semifinalists are. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull the trigger. They're going to make the NCAA final. Lock it in. I'm that high on this team. I do think they're that fourth contender, and I just think by the end of the year they are going to be that good. So give me Stanford to make the NCAA final. Now, I don't have them as the champs, but Hmm. I do think they are absolutely good enough to win the title. But again, that's our number seven women's team, the Stanford Cardinal. To read more about them, head to the website, CrackRackets.com, To learn more about them, head to our Cracked Interviews podcast to hopefully hear my interview with Coach Leila Farood. You can also head to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel to see more about the Cardinals, see where they left things off. Always a fun summary uh, and always fun to incorporate the work of super producer Daniel Westoff Of course, this episode running simultaneously to our number seven men's episode, and guess what, Jay? It's an all Stanford affair as our number seven men's team is the Stanford Cardinal. Your thoughts on that. Who's slotting in at number seven for the men for you?
0: Well, you're cheating off my paper. Uh, <laughs> I have Stanford as well. At number seven, um, you know, a few notes. And there are a lot of parallels between the Stanford men's team, and the Stanford women's team, obviously just Stanford and the, the, the seasons they had last season underwhelming on both sides. Um, but you know, is Axel Geller this year's Michaela Gordon, right? Like two fifth years, where is their level at, um, are going to probably determine how good their respective teams are. Um, really impressed this fall with both Ferry and Boyer, um, Boyer more so on the professional circuit, right? He's, Mm -hmm. he's been playing really well. Um, that feels like a really solid top three in what order. I don't know. Um, where I get a little concerned about Stanford and why they're not higher than your five or six teams is just the bottom of the lineup. Sure. Um, you know, you Rozart will play four and basing looks pretty solid. And then you maybe have Tim Saw. Um, you know, we didn't see um Shridar last year very much. Um, so we'll have to see. But so I think the five and six are the question marks for me. Um I think they'll be good at good in doubles. Oh, um, you know, Ferry and Rozart, you know solid team up top so um i have them at seven um feels a little bit more cohesive to me than the number eight squad of tcu a little less confidence in the bottom of the lineup than some of the the squads uh above them again i think there's a clear top eight in the men's side
1: i really do And, and again it's just what order do you have them in and i think once I think the top eight are pretty clear. I think seven and eight, you just have more questions about than your top six because you've seen every player on the top six compete and have success in college tennis throughout the course of their careers. Yep. Stanford's a team that would be—you probably might consider it closer to the top six had they had a full season, had Boyer had a full year to take some lumps. And obviously this team almost beat Virginia last year in yeah. the NCAA round of 32. Boyer blows that huge lead against Chris Rodesh and just, you know, again— This team was right there uh, with Virginia last season. Yeah, I mean I talked about it all with Matt and Chris, so I'm not going to repeat myself here. I agree with your thinking. Uh, The force is strong in you, uh, Jay. And so, yeah, Stanford number seven for the men and the women. It's a Stanford Cardinal day here at Cracked Rackets. With all of that said, one last thing I want to do with you. You fired off a fantastic tweet, a tweet I, (laughs) honest to God, think I would have beaten you to had I not been preoccupied with the National Indoor Championships, and thankfully I didn't because I'm sure some smoke has been headed your direction, but of course a big storyline outside of college tennis, but in college sports has been the hopping around happening in college football, had coaching jobs, it started out USC, LSU, Florida, Miami for top 25 jobs, you know, borderline top 10 jobs for some of them, if not higher, in the nation, all becoming available. And what have we seen subsequently? Lincoln Riley, who is at Oklahoma, I would say a top fifteen, top ten job. He had, you know, Heisman trophy winners, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. He's cranking out number one picks in the NFL. He's making the college football playoff. He leaves for the which certainly the Pete Carroll era in the aughts, two thousands, the Matt Liner teams, Reggie Bush, I can go on and on and on. We've seen what USC can be. They can be the school, the definitive power in college football. And so, you know, LA versus Norman as well, the money as well. All these things factor in for Lincoln Riley, but he makes the jump. We've also subsequently, since that tweet, seen Brian Kelly leave Notre Dame for Alice and There were a lot of money, you know a lot of dollar bills associated with that jump. I think he's making north of you know ten years, a hundred million, something around that range. Just stupid, stupid money, and just. Look, that money's never going to exist in college tennis, or at least not until inflation has you know, <laughs> really overwhelmed us all. Um, but you sent out a fascinating tweet. What would be the college tennis equivalent of Lincoln Riley going to USC Athletics? And here are the options you offered. Woodson to UCLA, Rodidi to Georgia, Pedroso to Stanford, or other list below. Here is what I would like to preface before I get into this discussion. A I am not suggesting in the slightest that these jobs are open, that this is going to happen, that any of these scenarios are even borderline feasible. I am not suggesting that. That does not mean we cannot have fun on this podcast, and this is a bread-and-butter topic for us here at the GSP. Do you want to hear my examples, or would you like to elaborate on your tweet first?
0: Let me elaborate on the tweet first. I want to echo what you said. In fact, these jobs are – spoken for for decades to come it appears right like these are well let's not i'm saying it um, yeah well okay sure uh i will go on record right i mean it is nothing about the people the pro like nothing to do with that whenever there is something interesting in the zeitgeist let alone the college sports zeitgeist you got to tweet about it and tie Mm -hmm. it to college tennis that's what we do and so for me it was so interesting because there's two factors here There's the Lincoln Riley of it all, and then there's the USC of it all. Uh And so, you know, rather than, you know, pile on one coach or one program, I was like, let's mix it up. And so let me walk you through the criteria criteria in which I had on that two-sided equation that generated some of those options. Okay. So on the coach side, hard rule, hasn't won an NCAA title. Okay. Okay. Okay.
1: That was not in my mind, but
0: go on. But Lincoln Riley has not yet; he has competed annually in the later stages. He's made several college football playoffs. Think of it: national
1: indoor semis, NCAA semis, exactly. finals. You have exactly. individuals You're, making runs. Exactly. Say Adrian um, Boyton for Michael Woodson.
0: Right. Um, I was l- trying and to find. Runs, but yeah, sorry. Go on. I was trying to find coaches that had like a relatively shorter tenure. Right. He was only head coach since 2017 at Oklahoma. And I was trying to skew younger, right, he, sure. As in terms of a coach who has like, decades ahead of them in college coaching, should they want it. All right, that's the Lincoln-Riley of it all. The program, right, was well, looking for—
1: let me start with the Lincoln-Riley side. Okay. All right. I have a, I have you a list You nailed it with the Michael Woodson comp. That's fantastic, and I'll get into—well, I want to get into the whole thing. You're right. I'm, I'm going to try and—Woodson's a great pick for this because you're right. That's the candidate. Pedroso— a great pick for this in terms of the profile of a Lincoln Riley that you're looking for now Ty Tucker doesn't fit this because Ty Tucker is Ohio State he's been there forever he's a little bit older I agree with you I don't exactly, think yeah. he would fit that list similarly would Brian Shelton at this point of his career fit that list I don't know especially now that he's rule. I mean he's won the NCAA title yeah but I think that's a rule you might want to waive because tennis is a little bit different you know again like, I, do I think Tony Bruschi qualifies for this list? Kind of. Like, I know he's got the NCAA title, but, like, hmm, I don't want to speak. I love Tony. Like, I really, I'm such a fan of Tony. But, like, you know, going from Cornell, one year, kills it there, wins an Ivy League title, straight to Wake Forest. That's not this. That's the JV version of this.
0: Sure. So, that I mean, that's a great example of, of what had happened. This is future-looking. Yeah. I will say the other factor of this is just like pure shock value. Sure. Right. I think there's like two Which historical... that did not have, by the way. No, that did not have. There okay. have been two kind of in I would say the Cracked Rackets era. Can I that have? Can had... I try and guess them? Sure. Boland I...
1: Baylor. Duh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What's the second one? It's not tailored to Oklahoma State. Um. No. Sorry, in the Cracked Rackets era, okay. What coaching changes have happened suddenly in the cracked Rackets era? Let
0: me define i de- might define the cracked Rackets era differently than you. It is okay. essentially the Gruskin is paying attention in the ether. So okay. call it the last decade.
1: I mean, Smith leaving Macy is that going to be the other one? Because I don't like that was no. yeah. Because I don't like again. I don't think that was. I don't think that's this. Yeah. Um. Huh. I'm. I mean, just,
0: just shock value. So obviously, Boland was like the yeah, earth-shattering that was moment. The, yeah. To me, it was Roddick to UCF. Oh, that's a good one. Yep, that's exactly it. You nailed yep. it. So that's like past looking, right? Yeah. We're forward looking here. Um, so so Pedro's, okay. Oh, I think the NCAA title is key. I think that like you knock these guys off who have won a title because Riley hasn't done that wants to do that at usc the whole point of this is
1: goldstein then qualify for this list because technically he hasn't won a team title but like he's at his alum i don't and it's stanford it's actually that might actually be the perfect candidate then because stanford oklahoma men's side is that a terrible comp
0: uh i think the stanford usc is a better comp Stanford men's tennis to usc well so get into the program side give give me the usc story well the program side blue blood has won many national championships but they are not operating at that same level today right for those who don't know usc last won national championship in the early aughts 0405 05 05 with an asterisk um usc football to clarify usc football uh yeah no asterisk on the tennis side um and i was trying to look at kind of like okay where are they in the picture of like modern day college football and there's they're about tied for third, right? You know, if you take out the Harvard, Princeton, Yale's, right, you have Alabama, Notre Dame, and they're tied with Michigan. So they're followed around bite third. bite your f***ing tongue after saying that statement, but go on. They're tied with Michigan.
1: No, Michigan third, please. Please. We're the leaders <laughs> in the best for a reason, Okay, Jay. we'll go
0: alphabetically then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, so that's what I was looking at on the program. Sure. But, um And so that was the equation, and so I whittled down the list to, like, three coaches who I thought could, again, loosely fit the Lincoln-Riley, and three programs I think could loosely mirror the USC football.
1: So it's fascinating, and I – again, I – I'm not trying to suggest that Michael Woodson will ever leave Baylor because I don't think he ever will. I really do think he has found a home, it fits his personality. They're a team with historic success as well, though they haven't won a national title. You know, Woodson to Baylor would kind of fit this if Michael Woodson's success hadn't been at Baylor, but he's already at Baylor. So it's just yeah. like we've, you know, they've already found their guy. And so I do think though Woodson to UCLA, yes. like literally that's this. That's That's the exercise. Like you win. Congratulations. That's it. That's the one. Uh, Because – and I'm not suggesting this is the case. And this is not a slight to Billy, to Rickus, to anyone surrounding the UCLA program. That would be the equivalent of this. If Billy retired and Coach Woodson, who's been building up this Baylor program and has them competing at the top of – college tennis and yes they haven't won a national title yet but things are trending in that direction much like they were at Oklahoma and you know there's some unclearness about the direction of the conference much like there is at Oklahoma and if he was just like ah, I'm going to UCLA like yeah. I and they were like we want you and he's like all right I'm coming because I want to take over the ship of arguably the best program in men's college tennis history yeah that's it like that's yeah. it that's this yeah. game you solved it
0: um so that was it <laughs> that's that's where i landed um i mean a fun exercise right you had the big 12 in the, in the big 12 you mentioned the conference the la i mean ucla also feels like the closest comp to me on the tennis side to usc yeah. football yep um so really fun thought exercise um, you want some
1: other fun ones
0: okay okay
1: and I think Jamie Hunt's going to get the job when Manny's done. And I think he should get the job because Jamie Hunt is fantastic. And look at the recruits George has pulled in over the past month. And it's a testament to the work not only Manny, obviously, is still doing, but that Jamie is doing as well. But Peter Smith to take that job. I'm just saying, I'm putting it into the ether. That would be like Brian Kelly. To or just, I mean, he's been removed, so he's been out of the game for a little bit longer. It's like when Urban Meyer left Florida and then eventually ended up back at Ohio State. That's the yep. equivalent here. Yep. I could see that being one. Pedroso not to Stanford, and I hate to keep going back to this well. And well, Never mind. I was going to say something that was going to get me in trouble. And it's not happening. Again, it's not happening. But if the Duke job came open and Andres was like, you know what? I want to go home. This is where I played tennis. I'm leaving Virginia for Duke, that would be this. Like, that would be—I know Duke hasn't quite had the success of USC, but you're telling me Duke shouldn't be on the same level as a UVA, shouldn't be competing right there as well? Like, if that Duke job ever came open, him going there, Goffey going there from South Carolina, like, I think that's another one— I'm just trying to think again. I don't think these jobs. Like I'm not saying the coaches there should be fired. I can't emphasize that enough. I'm just trying to create scenarios like this where something yeah. would have come and would have come open. The problem is none of these jobs have opened, and obviously <laughs> it's you know again Texas opened, but Bruce Burke was always going to get that job, and he had earned the job. He finished the deal. He won the national title. All of these top clear. schools feel pretty solidified in their coach. You know Goldstein's not going anywhere at Stanford. That's his right. school, and so like. I just don't see any of these big jobs come You know, again, it's just by age that UCLA comes up because Billy's just older than everyone else. But, like, that's, well, that's why, why that's this such is a good one. Fun. Yeah, right? exactly. That's why this
0: is fun because, like, at this point, we're just playing, like, in the same way the college football ADs are just playing, like, fantasy with these coaches. Yeah, like, that's what we're doing. Like, not like tennis clearly doesn't have the type of turnover. And when they do have turnover, oftentimes, there's, like, a very well-tenured associate head coach um, so it's fun to think about, like, if the slate was clean. Can I give you yeah. one more?
1: Okay, it's not good. quite equivalent, but Clancy to UCLA. He's so, another guy, right? So, Who fits this yeah. list?
0: So Clancy and Goffey were the two like younger coaches yeah. that like fit this bill, like and could... Michael Woodson. Well, yeah, yeah, we yeah, already talked the, about no, those yeah. are the three. I'm saying like those the are the three. Yeah. yeah, I just Arizona and South Carolina haven't yet had the Oklahoma success. Although Jubb,
1: Kyler Murray, not the worst, like, comp there. Again, Paul Jubb, NCAA champion, Daniel Rodriguez, totally. Baker Mayfield. Like, it kind of works. Yeah.
0: yeah, but from a team perspective, sure. Um, I, you know, was looking for— Yeah, but the women but were, were like, really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, So those were the three names, though, and so I gave the nod to, to Woodson just because of the Baylor success. And, like, honestly, if he has a few misses on the national championship side next two years, like— He's the Lincoln. He's the Lincoln Riley, and um, yeah, it's the fun, problem is fun there's exercise. a lot of
1: good fits at so many of these programs, like Woodruff, Tennessee, Mesh, Tucker, yes. Ohio State, Mesh. Like it's just you know even Rodidi TCU. That's where that's. The school. Like uh, it, it makes sense and he's turned them into a powerhouse. And again, that job is as much about the cult of David Rodidi as it is the facilities being offered at TCU. And, I, and by the way, Devin Bowen, you deserve tons of credit as well. But it's a testament to them more so than the program. And so that would be interesting to see Rodidi, who's kind of built in Oklahoma football at at TCU. If he were to leave for a Georgia, that's a good comp. I'm trying to think uh, on the USC side, who are those programs right now that are kind of hovering? It's not fair to say UCLA. I mean, UCLA was
0: not – it's not that far removed from a ton of success. But like – I feel pretty confident like UCLA men's tennis is the USC football yeah, that's
1: a pretty good. Well, I mean, I don't know. Cause I think they're better. I think UCLA tennis has been better than USC football of late.
0: Yeah. I mean, US, I mean, okay, we're t- it's a smaller sample size. Sure. Right. Sure. And like, USC has had multiple double-digit win, winning seasons since the early aughts. Like, they haven't been totally out, out of the picture.
1: Yeah, but have they yeah. been
0: top 16 as much as UCLA? Like, USC hasn't had a
1: 2014 UCLA team where it's like this team should have won the national championship when you've got Garon and Mackey and Clay and all sure. these guys. So that's why they've been a little... Like, they have been better.
0: There's no perfect comp, right? Sure. And, like, we just don't see this, like we don't see tennis teams just drop off the way you sometimes do these football programs. And so, like, when you do drop off and you've won 16 national championships and you haven't won one since 2005, like, you fit the bill of a USC football. And the fact that you're in LA helps a lot. I hate to keep throwing his name
1: out there. And, like, I don't think he's ever going to leave Wake Forest because he's built it into a program where you want to be at. But, like, Tony to any of these schools, too. It would just be, like... It would just be... I mean, again, if you want to build a winner, he's proven it at all the stops. And it's just like, I don't think he's ever going to leave Wake Forest. But for the fun of this exercise, that would be the fun one, to see him do it again somewhere else. Honestly, it would
0: have been Tony to USC Yeah, when Peter <laughs> in, in the left.
1: moment, yeah. If, yes. What about John Roddick at UCF? What do so you he's think? So he
0: was on the list of seven that okay. I had. Um, the problem is, like, he hasn't he He literally left Oklahoma um yeah. but he has U.S. UCF just isn't there yet okay. right like he, he's done yeah. you know There were what 11 12 this past year sure. um you know they just haven't had the national team success that in Oklahoma football has had these past five years
1: what's the women's equivalent let's think about it for a little bit is Pear on this list if Pear left Pepperdine for like I mean, I love what Allison Swain's doing at USC, and she's still pretty young in the job, but like, pair to USC women's tennis? Like, isn't that pretty similar to this? He's a little bit older. Well, not yeah. really, but like, pair. I don't know who – I'm trying to think like where else they could – the problem is a lot of these schools for women's tennis have been really good for a really long time. Like Georgia has been pretty good forever now. North Carolina has been pretty good forever now. Um, Stanford's one that. year removed from being really good. It's just like the usual yeah. powerhouses. I guess it would be – I mean no. The thing is Roland it, is about to get things rolling I think again at Florida. But it's like if Florida came open, if like – if Melissa Schaub left Ohio State
0: for Florida – would that be ooh, this? Ooh. That's a good one.
1: Yeah. That's a good
0: one. If if Melissa Schaub has a really good season this year, yeah. right? And she went to like she's a Florida. Uh,
1: like she's kind of, she fits the yeah. Lincoln profile really well.
0: Let's be real. She has the swagger. Yeah,
1: 100,000%. 100,000%. <laughs> right? like, she she can avoid does. this Cracked Interviews podcast forever, and I'm still going <laughs> to love her.
0: Yeah, so Florida's a good one. Um, Texas would have been a good, from program side, had they not. Just won national championship because they had had you know a lot of success. Yeah. Um,
1: Although for the record, I think Florida's due for a bounce back year this year. And I'm again, we're having fun. I'm a big, I'm a huge fan of Roland. It would just be like if Roland was like, ah, I'm good. You know what? I'm gonna go hang out elsewhere. And Florida just suddenly became open. And it's just like, yeah, I think Melissa would be a candidate.
0: Yeah, you know who is in this list? That this is Chris Young, is Ooh. like a coach who has. And again, Ooh, they've had a few, like, they've had a few down a really years these past few one. years. But, like, as someone who's, like... He's
1: the James Franklin. He is James Franklin. Yeah.
0: Who's, like, built, cultivated this, like, community. Feels yeah. like a pillar of Stillwater. And goes to, you know, a USC or a Florida or Georgia. Um, so he job. he comes up, uh, when I think about the women. Um, yeah, I mean... Could also Audra I mean, Cohen,
1: Oklahoma, comes off of a big year this year. She's just again has been an NCAA, yeah, you know, champion individually and had all the success at Miami. I think she's yep. another name on this list. I would add Sarah O'Leary,
0: right? Oh, Give her a few more years. Although Virginia
1: is a pr- I, that's you know what that's a
0: great call. You know they go if she went if she was up for that Florida job right that would be big. Um, honestly, she well if the UNC job gets open might she might m- want to take a call <laughs>
1: yeah i mean brian calvis isn't
0: going anywhere anytime soon sure but like yeah. again we're these are these are fantasy but like yeah. that feels like the homecoming for her that's a um, good one uh, there's a lot of good ones i'm trying yeah. i mean i
1: think that's a good list though o'leary yeah. cohen oh, chris young i'm so jealous of that's a great call um
0: <laughs> yeah and and melissa
1: shop and melissa shop those yeah. are all and, Is Pear too old and Pepperdine's I, like Pepperdine's weird. It's in a weird spot because it's like they have been pretty good forever, but like not really, but sort of. But it's not Power Five.
0: Yeah, I think the thing about Pepperdine is because it's not a Power Five. Like it feels like, I mean, not to say that these jobs would be step up, but like it, it feels from like a, a program standpoint, it would be. Whereas in some ways, you could argue that the Oklahoma USC shift for lincoln was was a v- horizontal move in terms of just like program but the usc portion of that had been lagging for so long and he's like breathing new life into it um so i feel like any of these programs you would look at the pair move and you'd be like like any of if any of these jobs did come open pairs you know at the top of the list just look at what he's done pepperdine
1: yeah no it, they're all interesting are we missing any candidates any schools
0: Probably. And, you yeah. know, maybe I'll get and some we'll hear, fans. Yeah, yeah We'll hear about it. Um, but, no, this is, again, this is all in, in good fun. Um, yeah, and the
1: problem is assistant jobs, it's just not the same. Like, it, being not an offensive same. quarter and being an associate head coach, it's so different in tennis. And, like, totally. that's where turnover happens from time to time, but only if good head coaching jobs open. Like, again— is Tanner stump actually the Lincoln Riley in this scenario, like kind of in tennis, that's probably the more apt comparison. It's like, if a big job opens, who's more likely to take it? Josh Goffey or Tanner stump? Like that's right. the legitimate
0: question. Yeah, it's, it's much more around the associate head coaches for sure. I think also, you know, there is a big difference when you're a head coach of a team of 12 people sure. than when you are a head coach of a team of 85, hundred people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's more sensitive. Um, you are much more the defining base of the program when there are less players. Um, but yeah, the associate head coaches, that's, that's a whole nother conversation of like, who is the shortlist of associate head coaches? You want to save that to for next and- week? And <laughs> we'll save that one to revive, um, to revive uh, an open head at uh, some of these programs. Yeah,
1: oh absolutely.
0: And so, Fascinating,
1: fascinating time to
0: have. This was a great
1: episode. This was exactly <laughs> what I was looking for here post-Thanksgiving break to kick off our December offseason, really the offseason month on the tennis schedule. But of course – Again, we're going to keep talking to you each and every week as we crank out these top 10 teams heading into the 2022 dual match season. Again, number seven for the men and women this week, Stanford Cardinal. Of course, you can read Jay's piece on the Stanford women on our website, CrackRackets.com. Hopefully hear from the coaches on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Learn more about them on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well course with all of that in mind jay what else you got for us what else should we be on the lookout for you obviously everything at, at jay Tweets tennis we just did a 20 minute segment on that uh, <laughs> more but, polls. yeah no ad no problem what else do we got
0: um well i will say shout out to carson branstein um who won her first professional title we also did a poll on that you um, like my
1: AM quarterfinal pick a little more
0: no, because the people sided with me on the poll. <laughs> <laughs> the poll was, will she play more than five matches for the Aggies? 60%. No. 40%. Yes. So we'll see. Um, I mean, great to see her healthy. Um, hopefully that that continues. Um, but, you know, it's always good to see collegians. You know, I, I, I don't have the bandwidth to be tracking the, like, Cairo 15Ks and, <laughs> and everything. I, I, I took a pause once the, the U.S. swing ended, but that was a, a notable result for her. Um, so, you know, more to come, um, you know, I'll probably do some sort of, um, like to kind of document some of these preseason predictions we've been throwing around, um, you know, put pen to paper so everyone can hold me accountable come May and see how silly I look.
1: Yeah, but don't Um, hold me
0: accountable because I, again, it just (laughs) makes me upset. Um, so yeah, send all the angry DMs my way if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, so looking forward to it, you know, it's a fun time to get creative with some of the content, um. So I mean, January is I mean, Oklahoma, you know, my my team that I've adopted just released their spring schedule. So lots to be really looking forward to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, we look forward to speaking with you each and every week as well as we continue our preseason coverage here of the 2022 college tennis season. Of course, again, you can read more about Stanford on the website, crackrackets.com, Here from their coaches, hopefully on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. And if you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch up on it all there as well. A shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fleeter and Daniel Westhoff for the f- of an amazing job they do day in, day out, making all of this content possible possible again our number seven preseason team the stanford women i have them in the final jay has them in the semifinal. things certainly it's interesting that we both have them making the final four or better and yet we have them preseason number seven that just speaks to the funkiness of this (laughs) process but again we hope you all enjoyed today's episode And with that in mind for my co-host jay our super producers fligner and westoff and all of us here At both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.